When you're an entrepreneur with a great idea, it can be daunting to find funding. Startup Raven takes the process out of your hands by helping entrepreneurs connect and learn about potential investors all in one place. Without any long-filled forms or thousand questions, Sign up for early access at StartupRaven.com. Welcome to StartupRad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Joe from StartupRate.io, your startup podcast from Germany, as well as the host of the world's number one tech entrepreneurship radio called Startup.radio. Join us on Captivate where you can support this channel. Link down here in the show notes. And of course, you can subscribe to all of our newsletters um, either on LinkedIn or Substack. Today, I would like to welcome Max here with me. Hey, how are you doing? Very well. Thanks, Joe, for having me on the show. Totally my pleasure. Um, there's some interesting stories behind you, um, but we'll most talk about that you have an eight and a half year startup journey behind you. You first did some stuff, fundraised for it, then pivoted, got back to bootstrapping, and then got to funding again. That is a journey we'll go along with you. And actually somebody from your team reached out to me. We talked, we talked, we talked, and then we both met and talked. And then we found out you actually shared an office with one of my co, with my co-founder Christian, right? Th that's right. That's right. The world is, a, is much smaller than we all think. Especially for German startup entrepreneurs in New York City, I do assume. Um, and by the way, um, did, 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 you can, of course, always spill some secrets um, about him here. We're all dying to know his bad habits. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, I'll keep that for later. Right. Yeah, but I, I have to tell you, I went through all of the story and I found it pretty inter interesting what you did. Not only the decision to pivot and get back to bootstrapping, but in, in your first, let's say, incarnation, you had uh, clients like CNN or the Financial Times, and now you have clients, including on your website, like Uber Eats, Premier League, HelloFresh, Breitling, Ford, Centesk, and Groupon. So apparently, you're doing something right with sales. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, CNN and, and Financial Times are also the, the best of the best publishers in, in the world. So I think we always have the ambition to get really the logos that everybody remembers and that everybody you know is using on a daily basis or at least on a monthly basis um, as our customers but we for sure changed um changed the industry right so before there was publishers now these are global brands so that's i think that's the big difference but i also cnn was also a fantastic customer to have sounds pretty good um Let's talk a little bit about you here. You studied law in Warsaw, Poland, and Frankfurt Oder, which which is very close to the border. Actually, it's a border town. You interned in the German Parliament, the Bundestag, and you even know the German president, right? <laughs> and the question is, how close is it to the actual House of Courts? And um, 
I've heard you also been competing for a seat in the parliament. So take us through this journey, how you got from um, studying law to politics, to journalism, to conversational AI. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's, it's been quite a journey. That's, that's for sure. I mean, actually it starts already when I was in school. That's by the, also where I met my uh, co-founders and, you know, uh, also two more colleagues here, which are still here at, uh, at Spectrum today after uh, eight and a half years, as you were saying that I still, I know from high school, so it's pretty, pretty, pretty much an OG crew here. Um, so how did it start? I was, I got into city council. So my hometown is 45, 40, 45,000 people. And I became an elected city council in my hometown, I think I was 18 or 19 at this point. So really almost the youngest possible you, you could be at this, at this time. And that's how I got evolved into, into, into politics. And I think in, in general, that city council always sounds a bit boring, right? You know, you know, one neighbor is angry at the other. Um, but that's not, not really the case, right? Because you can do a lot of good, also a lot of harm if you don't do it right, but you can do a lot of good in, in, as a city council, because your actions and your resolutions have direct impact on the lives of your surroundings, of your of your neighbors. And I think that was a very, very exciting um, time. Of course, if you're in the city council and you're just 18, 19, and there is a path um, uh, forward. And from there, already during my uh, studies, when I was studying law in, in Frankfurt, um, I became... I became a candidate candidate for the national parliament and was running against the back then he was the minister of foreign affairs today he's that he's the president of germany frank walter steinmeier so i became his opponent there and you know then you had a have a lot of meetings uh, around that you do a lot of campaigning so that was a fun time to do that but also what i realized i would have a really interesting question. You completed an election to what is today um, the the German president. Yes, in Germany we do have a president, but he's not as important as in the US. But at this time, he was the current foreign minister, as he said. Do you think he still remembers you? Did 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 did, did you give him a real fight? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's meeting thousands of people um, every 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 month. So. I would doubt that he would still remember me, but maybe, you know, there are different kinds of people. Some people remember other people really well, so he, he might do, he might not. But um, it for sure was an interesting, a very, very interesting time for me um, because um, also, you know, the whole media, you know, all the different news outlets and TV stations and so on. Of course, that's exciting, right? There's a 23-year-old and um, he's competing against the current minister of foreign affairs. Let's let's interview that guy uh, to see what he has to say, right? And I think that was an exciting time because I got a lot of exposure as well to I don't know, yeah, the media and, and journalism and how it works. And that in the end inspired me as well to to do something about this because um, I had the feeling that a lot of real quality content in that election um, is is not going through, right? So people are not seeing this; they see. The, most of the news content they saw BuzzFeed uh, cat content and their social feeds, but not the important articles about the current issues at the time. And that's why we decided, hey, there's a distribution problem in journalism and we might be able to fix it with pushing directly to the app which people use the most with their friends, which was WhatsApp at the time. And that's how the idea 
came to life about starting a business and solving a real problem. Sorry, there is the Autobahn next to here and sometimes the paramedics and the firefighters need to go through. Um, I had a question. Oh yeah. I've, 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 um, I was wondering, are you still practicing as a lawyer here in Germany? <laughs> I don't practice as a lawyer, but I do a lot of legal work, um, because GDPR is very present and I had a specialization in my studies in, um, data protection law um, and data privacy. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing that all the time because I have to review uh, the uh, DPAs, the data protection agreements, all this kind of stuff. So I do a lot more law than actually I want to. So <laughs> Awesome quote for each startup. I do more law than I want to. Okay. Um, you ended up in the next media accelerator in Hamburg and then got a lot of publishers as we said, the big names on board how did you do it and when did you decide um well that's the world and the world is not enough so the market is not big enough for us yeah i mean when we i mean when we got into the next media accelerator that's really i think uh, that's why i think our journey is also um quite exciting to share uh, here with the with the audiences because we really went from pre-c to to now series B. So uh, we have seen everything <laughs> along, along the way. Um, I mean, the next media accelerator was an accelerator program, which I think was very, very interesting at, at the time. Um, and they helped us also to get connect with large publishers. And they, in the end, also made the connection to Axel Springer and Bild Zeitung, which is the largest newspaper in Europe. And here we built a very good product or very good offering with them and also then expanded from WhatsApp to Messenger uh, as well, because Axel Springer already knew at the time that there was something in the making in Silicon Valley because they had a lot of executives which famously went to Silicon Valley to learn how disruption works. Um, um, so we knew that there's something in the making. We started on, on Messenger. But at this time, it was not allowed to send messages on WhatsApp. It was not allowed to send messages or articles on Facebook Messenger. So it was Christmas, and I remember that really well. The um, I got a message from Facebook, and they're saying, hey, we know what you're doing. Both is not allowed. Not, WhatsApp is not allowed. Messenger is not allowed. Can we have a call at the 28th of December? So right between Christmas and, and New Year's. So I knew that it's either a very bad sign and they're going to sue us and shut us down. And that's, that's it for the, for the young company. And I have to go back to do uh, real legal work. Um, or it's a very good thing. And it turns out it was a very good thing. They're saying, you know, we, we like what you're doing. It's a cool use case. You can use our unofficial API, uh, which is coming out, coming out in four months. And we were a team of three at the time. And all of a sudden we knew we have something here and we're building something that a lot of publishers going, going to need and going to ask about. And that's what happened basically. So we grew very quickly after that with publishers uh, and a small team. Uh, we may add a little bit for everybody who's not, who's not familiar with Germany. I know almost 40% are listening from abroad, basically between Christmas and New Year, Germany is basically shut down. They even pull up the pavement. So there's 
really nothing going on. Only the people who have to close the annual account, do the annual accounting or stuff like this, they'll be in work. As a consultant, I always had to take time off and I want to take time off for the very simple reason you do it just in the way of the people who are working there. So that's a really uncommon time to ask for somebody for a meeting here in Germany. Best you didn't have to travel to Silicon Valley, right? I, I did not, but it was obviously due to the time difference at a time that was also um, considered to be usually, you know, a quieter time in the day. Let's put it this way. I, I remember that somebody suggested um, a meeting who didn't have the time difference uh, in the back of their mind. That would be uh, that would be something like getting like me getting up at one a.m. and taking the call at one thirty a.m. and said, hmm, "Do you have a different time slot?" <laughs> I, yeah, that, that happened. But I, I think the funny thing, maybe I share you an insight as well, and that's for, for, for others. So when we then were due to, for, or our seed round was, was coming to together, one of the investors interviewed um, folks that were working with, and also the folks that were working in Silicon Valley with us from uh, the Facebook side. And they asked, you know, how is it is to work with Spectrum? How is, are they as a team? And The response, they shared that after that with me, after they invested and saying, it's great. This is a fantastic team. They're in the top 5% of response time of all partners I work with. And I know that there's a time difference. So one key to our success, success very early on was always to say, if we get a reply, if we get something from there, because we are, I know we are the lowest the low end of the food chain. If we ever get a reply, we do everything to respond as fast as we can and just get it out because we know that speed matters. And that was one part that got us ahead because we were always responding as fast as possible, even though it was the middle of the night. Doesn't matter. I actually have some secrets to spill because there's a lot of awesome stuff that I got into um, for the very simple reason. As a podcaster, I reply. I remember somebody who's running a very small podcasting network on tech podcast, and he actually was complaining that about 90% of the podcasters don't reply at all. So I've heard once 80% of success is showing up. So if you reply, if you reply in time, you're already in the, let's say, top 10%, top 15%. Um, I assume you were more than in the top 5% in your business, but 15 months down the road, you realized the market is not large enough. What happened there? First, how did you figure it out? And secondly, how was your way to decide, okay, let's pivot here? Yeah, sure. So, You know, after we had, you know, we onboarded the, the large publishers like CNN or Financial Times or and Business Insider and so on, we saw, of course, where are our next targets, right, in, in terms of who we could approach to start with a product. And that's one way of looking at this. So who comes next, right? So I think for a seed company, it's very good to start to say, okay, where's my first customer coming from? Where's my, the next 10 customers are coming from? Where the next hundred, depending on how many you need to be successful um, and how big the, the deal size is you, you, you sell. Um, but for us, it was clear, okay, we have already a good bunch of the top publishers in the world and we are nowhere near a scale in terms of revenue that this is, going to end well that was very then we thought okay how much more money we can make out of these 
larger publishers. And it turns out it's a solid business case for them at this level, but we cannot double the price. It won't make sense for them. And we cannot certainly not 10x the price. Uh, so, so it was clear there is no path for us to really grow because the market is simply from a pure account perspective, who else we can target and how much more we can sell to our business is not big enough. So that was a tough realization at some point um, um, because that was really our bread and butter. That was our focus. That's how we, the focus of a few of our investors, which got on board. So it was hard to, tough to digest, I have to say, to realize, hey, the market is not big enough for what we're trying to achieve here. And when you venture capitalized with venture capital, right? So very, very clear that we had to do something. Um, how we decided then to pivot and where to pivot is, um, I think we looked at very much who has the same problem as our customers have. And we realized the main problem we're solving is that you reach your audience. It's not about a distribution problem for journalism. That's, you know, just, it's about a reach problem, right? It's not about a quality content problem. It's a reach problem. And we saw that brands have the same problem on reach, reaching their customers because it's hard to do that. Yeah. Before we get into that, there's one story um, I would like to pick up on. I've heard there's a certain meaning to the term who left the dogs out for you guys. Yeah, there's that's definitely there is a, it's until today it's a it's an emoji inside Slack and that was the case when we for the first time ever we had a, a production and staging mix up and that's why a few all of our almost all users of our customers received a test image with two dogs in it so because that's where our engineers were testing always. Uh, sending of messages and and so on and so a lot of people got a dog <laughs> two dogs actually on the in the picture which was clearly a problem right because and we had to re react very very fast to explain this to all to our customers because it had a quite a significant scale at this point the users were actually liked it. They, it was very, very clear that um, he, the intern, did a, did, a, did, a, did something wrong. Um, so they actually liked it. You know, if you and if you're apologizing for that quickly enough, and if it's not, uh, it's just dog picture, right? So nobody's mad at the dog picture. So we were lucky in that regard. But still, that was a tough time when you know to all publishers and you send dog picture to the audience. <laughs> Okay. Um that we've we've already touched the pivot. Um but I I was wondering because that must have been a very intense time there with you guys. Um you have been raising venture capital, you had the big names on board, you had investors who owned part of the company, and then you realize, oh shoot, there is not really a market big enough for us so what did you do at first did you get a really stiff drink before you you thought about um actually what we do is reaching the clients on on a more meta level what did you do and how long did it take you from realizing oh market too small to we can do this bigger and better i think we did what uh went a little bit back to the drawing board and I think 
it only becomes real and you only validate this, that this is a real opportunity if you talk, talk to potential customers. And if you sign a new customer in the, in the other area you want to go for, and we did that, we um, were able to assign Red Bull um, at, this, at this point, which is a fantastic brand. And they were very close, actually, because they were doing a lot of content marketing. You probably know them because they sponsor football teams or uh, Formula One racing teams and so on. So they know they are very much a little like a publishing or media house. So they were very not, they were perfect, perfect bridge from going from publishers in the media industry to the brand world. So they were perfect, perfect segue for, for us. And by signing that and making, uh, with that contract very quickly, um, more money, uh, than with the, all the publishers we, we, we had before and then signing a second contract with another business and a third contract with a, with another, uh, global brand, we realized, okay, there is potential for, for us. It's true. What we think is true, but we validated, we basically went to the drawing board and then we tested this with talking to potential customers, but also really just signing new customers. And at some point then it becomes true, right? So then, you know, this is a real pivot. This is just not, you know, uh, a bad day where you're thinking about doing something else with a company. It is true. There's a pathway there. You have a product that you can somehow squeeze into that. Of course you have to do adjustments. Um, but then it's a real pivot. And that for us, that was, um, the best thing we could do. And, uh, at this time, or you always think about if you realize you're too small, that the niche you picked is too small. And you only have two options. Either you pivot or you go home. And as a first time founder, I, we had very much, we wanted to make that work. We really, really want that. We really want that to succeed. And that's, I think that's why for us going home was not an option. And, um, mm -hmm. I think until today it is, it is not an option. <laughs> I see. And, um, those decisions they totally take time how, how long how long did you have i, I was ju i'm just trying to um hammer home the point to our audience here that it takes some time that you should take a step back um and think about it um i've heard once a very interesting story when i was in the audience of somebody who was in charge of author and business consulting when it broke down and she told us well i was at this meeting basically They said the company is breaking down. They're suing us for more money than we uh, have or will ever make. So instead of going directly to the office, he went to a bar, got a stiff drink, thought for it uh, some time, and then went to the office. And I think you did this maybe with or without the stiff drink, but for some time really to think about the problem. How can you develop further? Um, can you give us a little bit of an idea and How how did you communicate this with the investors? Did you say, hey, guys, the business is just too small and we think about something else? Or did you already come up with um, the surprise, guys, the market is too small, but we already signed a new uh, client here. Look at the revenue numbers. I think it's a, it's a... On the one hand, I would say you you only have so few shots to make, right? So so few shots to shoot. Um, and if you, you can pivot once, um, mm -hmm. but if you pivot after the pivot, uh, two months later, then 
you very quickly look clueless about what you're doing. And so I think you have to take time uh, to, um, to do that. And basically, I think the best way to think about this is you have to forget almost every, almost everything you knew about the business because you have to start from scratch more or less. That's how you should approach it. When you launch a new product, um, and you have an existing, uh, on top of your existing product, you also should treat it like that. Go, go back and really start from scratch. You might meet new people who are, you know, explaining or selling this to others. So I think it's a, it's a very good exercise to start from scratch. That's, that's how I would always approach it. And starting something from scratch and thinking everything through and not jumping to a conclusion just takes time, right? For us, it was about three months to do that. Um, I think it was really when we had first had doubts from, it was, uh, it was in the summer, probably summer 2017. And then we, um, we made the pivot in somewhere in Q4. So we had some time to think about it, but also to validate this, to talk to potential customers, but also to sign real customers from that. I think that takes, takes a few months. Um, how do you communicate this to investors? Um, I think you have to come up with a plan. You have to show them the plan, right? So it's, it's not, it's not, it's very ill advised to go to investors and say, I don't know. Um, um, I don't know if I, you know, want to do that any further. I don't know. They believe in you and especially on the seed stage, they, they invest, um, in to a large proportion into the founding team. And as a founding team, you have to solve the issue. So solve the issue. If you have specific uh, questions where they can intro, where they can help, be very specific on where they can help. But if you come to a board meeting and say, I don't know, seems to be the market is too small, then, and you don't have a plan for that, I think then, then it's panic time for everyone involved. Um, but if you come with a plan, then, and you think that's something validating, that's something where we think the company should go for, then that's the way to do that. Then I think everybody is also calm because in the end, everybody knows a seed stage is and seed stage investment is a bet. It is a bet. Mm -hmm. And would I, would I had a mind with totally strong, uh, first a disclaimer, the stiff drink is only recommended if you like it, if you can digest alcohol and obviously outside of working hours. And, um, also if you go into an investor meeting, maybe seed stage or later, and you tell your investors, guys, you know what? The market is too small. We don't know how we want to proceed. You can bet your life that one or all of the investors will be talking to some investment banker, to some consultant, um, after they get off the board meeting of the, of the investor meeting and say, Hey, do you know somebody who wants to buy the company? That could be the end of your company. You either forced or have to, um, have to sell the company because you didn't communicate the right way with your investors. Always keep that in mind. Then you went from venture funded to bootstrapping again for something like two years. I was wondering, how did you keep your cash flow up there? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question because in the end, it was clear, you know, seed stage funding is supposed to last 15 to 18 months, roughly, right? So, um, mm -hmm. by the time we were pivoting, we were, um, on a very low run rate already. So the best way to do that is to make, to, you know, 
you know, make, get a longer runway is to make money, right? And, and that's what we did, right? And, uh, we, we signed new customers, um, fairly, fairly quickly. Uh, it was clear that we have here, um, we're onto something. Um, that's why we were able to sign a lot of customers and a lot of large customers. And because we also changed our pricing, so we, that's always, I think Mark Andreessen is always saying that increased pricing. Um, uh, we did exactly that. We increased, uh, the pricing, um, also to reflect the, the, the more work we do for the enterprise customers. And then we charged most of the time upfront. And if you charge upfront, you can become much earlier cash flow positive than you actually, uh, you are ready, you are on par with your revenue. So I think that was for us, I mean, it's not uncommon to, to do that in the, in the, in the software world, but for us, that was a, the big difference between, um, having to have a monthly payment from our customers, which then where the, your MR, your monthly recurring revenue meets your costs, which is much more difficult to achieve versus where you have upfront payment, which then covers the cost of the, of this month or the, or the, or the next two months. Right. So it's a huge difference, and, but that made it possible for us in the end. Mm -hmm. I see. Um, uh, I've, I've heard, um, when you talked about uh, the background of the pivot, you also ran into trouble with Apple, Apple because they changed the game uh, for marketing tools um, during the t after your pivot, right? They did, yeah. They, I, I think there was a joke in in Berlin, which uh, where also a lot of um, ad tech companies are, and also I think also in Tel Aviv in Israel, um, that they're more afraid of the Apple iOS update 14 than they are afraid of COVID-19. So that was always <laughs> the joke what we were saying because it was a huge game changer into the entire marketing industry. Um, for us in the end, it turns out because we were not sure how it would impact us because you, they were guesses. But it turns out for us, it was actually quite a nice thing because we're not dependent on this data sharing um, um, that uh, Apple is trying to prevent. So for us, it was actually, it turns out a very good thing and is a huge driver for um, our current uh, customers and buyers to go with Spectrum because they realize if they want to have a future, especially when also cookies are going to be shut down by, by Google next year, that how do I do that? How do I have a compliant way of um, talking, interacting with my customer in terms of messaging is the right thing to do. So for us, it turns out it was a very, very positive thing, but for the industry in general, it was a big curveball. Um, we're talking now, depending on how we cut this between 25 and 30 minutes, may we dive a little bit into your product? What you guys are actually doing? Sounds good. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, my understanding is you have some kind of little chatbot. You can integrate a new website and you can talk with it because it's an AI. And when you have more complex questions, you hand it over to customer service. Pretty good. Pretty good. Aside from one thing, and that is important, we're not on the website. So we are only on social messaging apps like Messenger, WhatsApp, Instagram DMs, and so on. So we are on these platforms because we work with global brands. Global brands address a very large audience. And where does these large audiences spend time? 
of course, in messaging apps and not on their website. So in order to go there where your audience is, that's, you know, one of the few marketing, you know, foundational principles, go where your audience is already. Don't try to get the audience to, to you. Um, that's why we are on these channels, uh, like WhatsApp and so on. And as an entrepreneur, I can imagine it basically you are always the watchdog who keeps up the messaging with my clients. If I'm in Pacific time, if I'm in European time, or if I'm in Australian time, um, basically you, my bots can talk to the clients all the time. And when then there's a specific request, um, it goes into my marketing, my customer relationship team. That's correct. Right. So I think there's you. What you can achieve with messaging is you can do two things, right? So you can solve a question that people have, right? So do you, do you have that sweater in white? Do you have that in sweater in red? Or um, is your product vegan? Or green. Right? Or green, yeah. Or is your product vegan, right? I mean, these are all fair questions. And it turns out that the majority of the questions that brands are getting on social are pre-purchased. So they don't ask about, you know, I want to return this and so on. That's not the case. Most Questions are pre-purchased. So answering that and, for example, sending them, hey, here's the white here's the white T-shirt. You can just click on it and you buy it. It's so low in the funnel. It's, if you don't do that, you leave money on the table as a, as a brand. Uh, but there's also that's one part. But there's also the other part of that is um, sending people push notifications on these channels, right? So email is a tool that is, you will never, it's, it, email is like radio. It will never be that. Never, um, and it has its place, and right. But you know, let's be honest, right? Most of the stuff you get is filtered out into a separate tab in Gmail, and there it sits until eternity, right? Um, and app push notifications, Apple and Android are actively nudging you to opt out of these push notifications. And if you get too many, you also very, very quickly are quite annoyed about that. So push notifications via these messaging apps are never turned off, and you always see them. And they are a lot of fun to engage because the chatbot can provide very interactive, rich media user journeys, which are fun to do. Um, so I think these are the two parts we, we cover, right? So answering questions, but also helping people to find the right product and sending them a nice follow-up if there's a voucher or there's something else to take care of. And for me, the biggest use case for your, for your customers would be pre-sales. Yes, it's all about, we are, you know, customer service is most of the time with automation and chatbots focused on, you know, saving money because you don't need an agent uh, to handle the question. Uh, that's what we're not interested in that. We are only taking care of making money for the brand. And I was wondering, where do you see your tool going in two or three years with all the large language models coming up in AI now? Um, people talk about ChatGPT, but there's so much uh, out there in terms of art, in terms of generating a shorts. By the way, if people are seeing now uh, some of those uh, interview pieces here in shorts or have seen them on social media, completely generated by AI, I just provided the URL there. C can you tell us where do you see your product going in something like a year or two years? Sure, I think the... except for wearing a funny Christmas hat, a Christmas a Santa Claus hat <laughs> during Christmas, right? That's yeah, yeah. I mean, let's let's see about the hat. Um, no, I think the pro product wise, um, 
it's very clear that every brand will be present on messaging apps with a large language model powered chatbot of some kind, because that is the expectation from from consumers. Nobody, if I see what ChatGPT can do and answer me, and then I turn to a high-end luxury brand or even a company that's a technology company, and they have a chatbot which is not understanding what I'm saying, I'm immediately disappointed and my customer experience is out of the window, right? So this LM is a little like a moment like Amazon introducing next day delivery. That the problem is you cannot go really below that. If you're saying, you know, I'm going to deliver your package in two weeks, what, right? And that's, <laughs> Amazon is doing the same next week. And, and I think customer experiences, that's why due to that and so important for, you know, maintaining your customers, you, uh, you know, winning new customers. I think in two years time, almost every brand will have an LLM and be present on social media messaging apps. Um, I, as we said, he shared an office with my co-founder and I asked him to, to give me some questions and, um, actually he had some pretty interesting ones. Um, have you ever been fooled by a chatbot to mistake him or her for a real person? I don't think so. Actually, I thought about it, but, uh, I don't, uh, I don't think so. Um, I think it's it's bad design if that's the case, right? So um, um, that if you if a chatbot is not or an AI is not revealing that it's an AI and it's pretending to be a person, I think that's in general a bad ex that bad experience. Um, so I think from there are a lot of standards of why you should not do that. So, but it never occurred to me or never happened to me or I don't know, right? <laughs> so <laughs> the thing is, there's a fantastic. A book from uh, Brian Christensen um, out there, which I really recommend to everybody to, to read now. And that's the most human human. And the most human human, um, there is a test where um, you have to figure out if the other person is an AI or is a human uh, person. And this is the global competition. And of course, a lot of AI scientists trying to compete there and fool the other people that their chatbot is actually a person and they tried this really, really hard, but so far it, the humans always won and were clearly able to identify what's an AI and what's a human, but he can't get, got into this competition as a human. So he was in the challenging position to show the other human that he's a human just via chat. And here you think that's why he was the most human human. That's the award you can get if you convince the most people that you are an actual human person. And I think that's absolutely exciting because it tells us so much about what makes us human. What if we only have a chat interface and we have to prove that we are human? How we are going to do this in, in times of chat GPT, which are a lot of philosophical questions um, uh, <laughs> which occur around that. So I highly recommend that book. Um, actually, what we talk about is the so-called Turing test. We'll link it down here in the show notes. When do you think uh, large language models or the next iteration of AI will be able to fool humans exactly that way, passing a Turing test? I think it's already the case. I think it's it's just not it's just not official, but we're already here. Mm -hmm. Um, do you have? a forecast 
I know forecasts are always difficult, especially concerning the future. I know. Um, uh, forecast how the market and technology has been developing and would have been like the breakthrough moments there. Yeah, I think there are a few different, I mean, in the market and we are in, I think every time major platform open, that is changing the game, right? So before we started with Messenger, they opened up and were open for business. Then Instagram came and were open for business and now WhatsApp is open for business. So every time, uh, you know, WhatsApp is a two billion people platform. If you open that up and make that available for business, that is changing the game. So I think for us, on the one hand, this opening of these platforms was very, very important. On the AI side, I think we saw all the major steps really from working with um, a vec uh, algorithm, then going to general adversarial networks, which were really exciting. And now we are large language models. Um, so that's really, we saw every step in, in, in that journey. Um, I, I think the exciting piece is the amount of training that is required. Um, I think, and that's the big difference that we now have models which work almost off the shelf pretty, pretty well. And before that, there was a lot of training required. And so I think the understanding is comparable to other models before. The amount of training you need is, it's crazy how little it needs and how much reasoning power in these LMs is. So I'm very, very excited about the next iteration, what comes after that. Hmm. Sounds like a pretty good outlook. And um, that have been all the questions by Chris. And now time for payback. Can you tell us a few annoying habits of his? <laughs> it's been a it's been a long time, right? I have to say, but it's a um, annoying habit. I think it was always very quiet in that in that in that in that in that office, which I I found and a lot of, still a lot of paper. I have to say, which is for me, you know. Give me my my MacBook, and I'm I'm happy. I don't need anything else. But there was still a lot of paper involved. To, I would say, yeah, journalists, uh, you know, that's probably probably normal. They still take a lot of handwritten notes. But I think yeah, it was also very quiet. But we kept that as well in the office. Somehow, um, they say the first job influences you more than your firstborn. So I'm not sure if that's true uh, because I don't have a firstborn. Um, but uh, maybe the first office also influences you a lot because also in our office also very quiet, very concentrated atmosphere always. Hmm. Do you know what's funny talking about the firstborn and paper? I just recently came home with the big Sunday newspaper. I folded it up and my four-year-old son was asking, Dad, what's this? And I said, it's a newspaper. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's the reality, right? So that's... Um, it's yeah. becoming true what you know people predicted a few years ago that this is going to happen it's happening um doing it i already bother you for like almost 45 minutes so we we ha have to cut a little bit in this interview but i want to go through two more points first you raised in total 11 million us dollars from 10 investors including guys like hvlvh global the chairman of lotto 24 BDMI, 3TS, Capital Partners, North Base Media, Runa Capital, Lera, Hippo, and Axel Springer. A, a lot of investors from New York City, by the way, I realized. Um, would you be open to talk to new investors? And do you have like a rough idea when your next series B, series C investment will be coming up? 
always happy to talk uh, to to new investors. Um, um, it's always great to compare compare notes. Um, I think for us, it's it's we, we are looking at at uh, we're currently not looking, but I think next year or something like this, we're definitely going to consider that. But um, for us, uh, definitely just one option. Mm -hmm. Um, are you currently hiring? And I was wondering before you replied to this uh, question, what is the first indicator of good hire? Is it time to onboarding? Yes. It's time. I would say it's time to onboarding, and I'm very, very uh, strict with that. I have to say uh, because I know we we switch. You usually have 30, 60, 90 days onboarding, and I think that's the feedback loop is not tight enough. So what we have, we have one day, one week, one month. So after one month, I need to see you uh, up and running, and I think that's very, very important. Time to onboarding is, I think, the number one indicator if you're going to be successful down the road in your job. There is literally no exception uh, I experienced uh, so far. Mm -hmm. And for everybody who still or likes the challenge or still willing to uh, talk to you about a job, um, are you currently hiring? We are currently hiring. Um, just check out our career page. Um, Refer, refer to the podcast, um, use a referral code <laughs> and get priority access. Um, try that out. But um, yeah, we... The code is Startup Radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's try it out. Yeah, we're, we're always hiring. Awesome. Everybody who'd like to learn more, we'll link your LinkedIn profile down here in the show notes so investor can reach out directly to you. We'll also link down here in the show notes the career page. You will also find the blog post on medium.com forward slash startup right minus io max it was just a pleasure having you here when we talked i already knew it would be a good interview but we've been talking uh, uh for more than 45 minutes now and i really like what i see come back when you have your next fundraising will do thank you for the for the invite Joe. totally my pleasure have a good day bye bye take care bye That's all, folks. Find more news, streams, events, and interviews at www.startuprad.io. Remember, sharing is caring.